Well, I just love the way that God led Mike with that prayer because we can see what can happen this morning when our souls do cleave to the dust in Psalm 119, verse 25. But when we see that picture in Psalm 119, uh, 25, how they, the person that God used to write that, and many think it was either Daniel or Ezra or David, doesn't matter. We know it's the Word of God. His soul would begin to, to cling to the dust. His self-consciousness would begin to begin to give over and allow the lusts of, those, of the flesh and the body to attach to him. And so he said, quicken me, enliven me, according uh, to your word. Of course, we know how that happens in Hebrews 4.12. The word comes in and separates the soul uh, from the spirit, a self-consciousness from God-consciousness. But it's very interesting, your prayer uh, about that particular verse, because if I understand uh, Genesis 3, verse 14, when God, through Christ, condemned the serpent in that sense, the serpent there was the type of Satan. And it says that his food would be, and he would crawl on his belly and eat the dust. So if you correlate those two, boy, oh boy, what a tremendous correlation we can get. No wonder we need to be, all of us, uh, need to be separated uh, from that uh, because of the reality of that particular verse. And thank God we have verse 15 of Genesis 3, Christ and what he's accomplished on the cross has severed us positionally uh, from that and, and we're learning and growing to be separated in our experience the way we are in our position in Christ. And we are so thankful for that. And I'm thankful for every single person in Christ that can function that way, including myself and everyone, so that fellowship can flow. The love of Christ can flow. And that's a beautiful thing. But I'm going to read um, <clears throat> some scriptures as God was has been counseling me and teaching me through many different things. Again, we've said so many times here that the system, the religious system, is not of God. And where that was designed is, of course, from the enemy. He's developed the system because that system will keep Christ out. It may teach some position, which is even that, in that sense, it's doubtful. Because if you don't have a, an understanding of a proper position, you won't have a proper experience, and thereby you don't have a proper image. And, and so those things are very important. And I think what God was, was giving me and giving all of us in that sense, because he's the only giver, it takes God, the Holy Spirit, to give us what's ours in our experience, the truth about what is ours in our position. So it takes God, the Holy Spirit, so, but to bring us to a place that we can even receive what we have of Christ. And, of course, that's why men are just, any of us, are just vessels. Any, any that teach or preach are just vessels. It's all of Christ, every single bit of it. But thank God for that. And I, I, do, I do thank God for his order. And, of course, that order has to start in individuals. I'll just share this. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24, this is going to reveal God's order, his foundation, for the gifts that are connected to head, 
to the head Christ in Ephesians 4, 8, how they'll flow all the way through to the 16th verse so that everyone is a joint that supplies. We all have a supply of Christ. And then we all function in a beautiful place in the local assembly. But these are, these are the qualification of those that are vessels in the hand of God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit to pour himself out through. And here's the qualifications in verse 24 of 1 Corinthians 1. But, and that separates, and you can look back to what we're separated from, the foolish wisdom of the world, that false system that was set up by the enemy a long time ago, and how it's revealed itself till we get to the point and even to the place of we can see it in Revelations, the 17th chapter. But anyway, these are the qualifications for us, especially those that are the gifted evangelists, pastors, and teachers by his pure, unadulterated grace. It says in verse 24, but unto them which are called, and it really says the called, unto them that are the called, both Jews and every other people group, Christ, listen to what it says, Christ, the power of God, period. Christ, the power of God. That's why God's his own interpreter. He doesn't need man apart from Christ to, to interpret himself. The power of Christ and the wisdom. The power of God and the wisdom of God. Because, fool, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Notice that? God would choose little vessels to pour his wisdom through that doesn't have a thing to do with any system. And a system is anything that operates outside of Christ. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Who's the weakness of God? Anyone that has that gift and realizes their weakness and submit to Christ, guess who we are? Thank you. <laughs> when I'm weak, when I'm weak in him, then I'm strong, and I'll know the difference between Joel 3.10 and Isaiah 2, verse 4. Knowing when to beat the sword into a plowshare and, and the plowshare into a sword. Because, if, because we don't know when, where, or how to do any of that in terms of our own intimate fellowship with Christ and how that would enter into preaching and teaching. Again, the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling brethren. Now this is true about all of us, but there is an order. There is a, there's a beautiful order. For you see your calling brethren. Boy, we need to see that, don't we? How that not many wise men after the flesh, we're going to see what, what proceeds out of the flesh and how the enemy has set up the system, the false system, and and raising up the flesh to give even those that are believers a false image or a blurred image and identity. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh. See, it says not many, because there are few. And, and, and Ephesians 4.11 makes that very clear when it says some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Again, it doesn't have anything to do if the some are evangelists and pastors and teachers. Well, where did they come from and how do they function properly? It's all about Christ. They're just a vessel. That's it. We're just vessels, period. All glory goes to God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not many wise men after the flesh. 
Natural intelligence is immediately excluded. Not many mighty, those that are strong in themselves. So that's completely gone. The cross has cut that off. Thank God, in Galatians 6, verse 14, again, the whole world system, the religious system, by the way, okay, has been crucified. Isn't that beautiful? Christ, he crucified that whole system. What's the difference between, between worldly religion and the world? <laughs> There's no difference at all. There's none. Not many mighty, not many noble. <laughs> There's no nobility. There's nothing noble about the flesh. Nothing in it. But God, see the separation there? But God has chosen the foolish things of the world. You know what the world considers those that are in Christ to be absolutely foolish? You know why? They considered him to be foolish. Based upon their own wisdom, was it wisdom? If Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, where was that so-called wisdom, that evil genius coming from? But God has chosen the foolish things of, notice that, of the world, their whole constitution and makeup is of the world, to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things. Listen, if you and I aren't weak and Christ isn't our strength, listen, let me tell you something. We are not being used by God. That's right. We're not. We're just not. We're not being used by God. And to be used by God, it means there's an individual intensity and energy of intimacy that nothing can replace. Christ is irreplaceable in my experience. But you can't put other things there. God has chosen the weak things of the world. (laughs) We're the weak things. If you're functioning in Christ and you're doing it and you realize it, raise your hand, you're a weak thing but you're strong in him. You know, we've said before, if we're zero in the self-life and Christ is everything, you do the math and add everything to zero, what do you have? You have Christ. He's everything. He is the measure of our success. Right? The weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty in their self-deception and base things of the world, base things that the world doesn't consider to be any good. Do you know, they, the world system, they, it threw out Christ. It murdered him, killed him, and threw him out. <laughs> and that started in Genesis, the fourth chapter, when even the sacrifice that was pointing to Christ caused Cain to be enraged when he brought his self-sacrifice, which had to do with himself, to present it to God and he was completely refused and even, even again was given the opportunity right in the face of God. And he left in a rage. Did you know the whole religious system is based on that? Rage against God. Oh, against God. God forbid that should ever get into us personally and get into a local assembly or in the church at all. Right? The base things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised. You look in your Bible. Did Cain despise Abel? You mean just because he was a vessel, or he brought Christ in his vessel in type? It was Christ that was despised. 
It was God's one true sacrifice, period. <laughs> and you're going to see the whole world system developed in the fourth chapter of Genesis. And, and don't think that there wasn't any religion. There was. But it's, it had nothing to do with Christ. had nothing to do with the gospel. Because if you have the gospel, you have a crucified Savior, an absolute substitute, thereby being reconciled to God. We don't have, there's nothing else. There isn't anything else. And we're going to see how that system was developed. But see, and base things of the world... And things which I despise, listen, has God chosen? Yea, and things which are not, in terms of the world, <laughs> considered to be not. I mean, truthfully, it's so sad, and I don't want it in my life. Just think, what do we consider, how do we consider Christ in our own vessel? Whew. What would we consider above him or in place of him? Because if we do that individually, we will bring that into local assembly. We will. We will. If we esteem anything or ourselves above Christ, we bring that into, and that, we're going to see what happened in church history. You can see it crystal clear. Huh. And we don't have time to get into it because it's a vast, seriously, it is a vast and exhaustive study of that reality. It is. But it takes humility and submission, and a ton of grace for God to bring these truths out to us so that they become a reality, a, a, a substance, and not just a shadow. And so God has chosen, what? And things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. Let me tell you, that world system's coming to a close. Thank you, God. In 1 John 2, 17, it is coming to a close. That system, okay, that was brought through the rebellious uh, Satan with his legion of army brought into the world. We see that in time in Genesis, the third chapter. But time is on a collision course. That world system is only for a little time. And God saw it all before it happened. And he has a plan. And it is on a collision course. <laughs> and thank you, God, we're not of the world. Christ wasn't in John 17, verse 14. And neither are we. Thank you so much, God, in verse 16 of John 17. But here we see, and to bring to naught the things that are, that, that are, here's verse 29, listen, that no flesh should glory God. That no flesh should glory in his presence. And believe me, it can't. <laughs> but of him, of God, are you in Christ Jesus, who of God, notice that, you have of the world, of the flesh, or of God. Of God is made unto us. He made Christ for us individually to have what? Wisdom. Is there any wisdom outside of Christ? Is there any true wisdom, wisdom in any way that the system functions apart from Christ? Wisdom and what? Righteousness. A right standing with God and sanctification. Beautiful, continual separation in our experience because of the reality of our position in Christ. Sanctified, set apart from the old and set into him. In 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. We have sanctification and, thank God for this one, redemption. That's a continual process. And that's why in 1 John 1, 7, we're to walk in the light. 
as he's in the light. And when we do, we have, listen to this individually now, this is individual. We have fellowship, one with another. That according as it is written, according as it is written, he that glories, in Jeremiah 9, verse 23, Paul's quoting it all the way from there to here, that he that glories, let him glory in the Lord. Let him glory in the Lord. Now, I'm going to read some of the things. This is, this is the enemy, the enemy of the world that has entered into the church. And if it enters into the church, how does it get into the church? It gets in individuals that are of Christ. And look what happens. This is what Paul, through the Holy Spirit, this is what he was saying. Verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 1. Now I beseech you, I beseech you, I exhort you, I, in one sense, I plead with you. Who? Brethren. Those that are in Christ, I plead with you by the nature, the name, and everything about that nature of, listen, our, who is it? He's of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions. Notice that? No divisions. No, no divisions, no schisms among you, but that you be perfectly, completely joined together in in the same mind and in the same discernment. Oh, boy. Oh. Why? For it has been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe. And the house of Chloe was the place where they were meeting as the very house of God. We are the tabernacle of God in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16, and in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. We are to be the dwelling place of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what it says again in Colossians 3 and verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you with all of its riches. See? That there are contentions among you. Contentions. Listen, there are contentions. Listen, Corinth was one of the most gifted local assemblies. But they were making more of their gifts through self than Christ himself. And as a result, they entered into contentions. Now here's verse 12. Now this I say, that every one, notice this, it starts with every single individual. Every one of you says, what? I am of Paul. I thought we were of Christ. I thought Paul, I thought Apollos or Cephas or any, I thought they were just vessels. I am of Paul. My constitution is Paul? I am of Paul? (laughs) One of you says, I am of Paul. And another of you, individuals, say, I of Apollos, meaning I can only receive from them. I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, this is Peter, and some say, apart, complete, and this is all against God's order, I am I of Christ. And in this sense, don't need anybody. <laughs> don't need any vessel, the treasure in the vessel, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. It's very interesting, it says, we, all those in Christ, have this treasure, 
Christ in these fragile clay jars that the excellency of the power may be of God and him alone. Well, verse 13, is Christ divided? Are there any divisions in oneness? Was Paul crucified for you? Was he? Are you clinging to the vessel or the treasure that's in the vessel and having oneness? Are you functioning as an individual in Christ and thereby having fellowship? Or are you, re- or are you of Paul or of Paulus, of Cephas? Maybe, you, maybe you've been deceived to think that you don't need anybody. And we all, that can all happen to us in a heartbeat, any of us. Is Christ divided? Listen, was Paul crucified for you? Oh, oh Lord. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say, I had baptized in my own nature. Like my nature, apart from Christ, had something to do with it. And with my nature fallen and ruined, I would interpret Christ and then baptize you, make you unto me. Oh, God, help us. This very, very critical and, and very beautiful when we understand it. Here is, and I'm going to read this one in, in Philippians uh, chapter 1. And you can read, when you read Philippians chapter 1, if you want to take some time, read it all the way through to the fourth chapter because you'll see a flow. Even those two women... There was, a, in, in Philippians the fourth, that were servants of Paul, they became a contention, a division among them. You'll see that in the fourth chapter of Ephesians. But here is Philippians chapter 1 and verse 15. Well, this is why we need prayer. Uh, verse 14, And many of the brethren in the Lord are waxing, are becoming extremely confident by my bonds. In other words, what he's saying is, yeah, he's in jail, but who was he, who, who did he say in Ephesians 3.1 and Ephesians 4.1, he was a captive of, of, and in bonds, it was Christ. They were seeing confidence in Paul. No matter what, it was Christ. No matter where he was, whatever place he was, wherever he was put by God, he had confidence, and that was flowing to them that same confidence, by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Because there's no fear in love in 1 John 4, uh, 17 and 18, because in this, we're to have boldness in this present evil world. We're to have the boldness and confidence that comes from Christ alone instead of being separated from him and living in fear or the flesh or in contention. Now, verse 15 says, Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. Oh, God. You know, when we make more of individuals that God uses more than Christ, do you know what that that enters into and why? It enters into envy and strife. And some also of goodwill. Listen, verse 16. The one preach Christ, listen to this one, God forbid, of contention. Wow. One preaches Christ of 
contention, not sincerely, not in transparency and honesty and openness, supposing to add to my to add affliction to my bonds. When we function in the flesh, what do you think? And we get together, what do you think we're adding to one another? We're used by the enemy to add what? Affliction. Affliction. What is wrong affliction? It's good to be afflicted in, in Psalm 119, verse 67, when we go astray, loving chastisement, yes. But of the enemy to be afflicted in the wrong sense is a result of what? Contentions. Divisions. Schisms. Listen, comparing in 2 Corinthians 10, 12. Comparing, comparing. You see? They add to affliction to my bonds. But the other of love, of love. And God is, in 1 John 4, 8 and 16, love. Knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. See what comes against it? The defense of the gospel. Is there good news, a gospel, without a cross and a crucified, sacrificed Savior? No. But boy, does that cut the self-life out, doesn't it? That's right. Can that self-life enter into, even though we're not of it, Romans 8, 9, can it enter into me and even my preaching? Can. That's why Paul said, you know, if our gospel in 2 Corinthians 4, 3, if, my, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world, that's the religious system, the God of this world has blinded, blinded, hardened the minds of them which refuse to believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel, who is the very image of, of God should shine unto them. And that's why we have this treasure and these fragile clay jars that the excellency of the power may be of God. And what a, what a clarity that we have through the word. What then, in verse 18 of Philippians 1, what then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice. When it's all him, that's where our joy is. That's the presence of God in Psalm 16, verse 11. When we, when we set our face before him, when we set him before our face in Psalm 16, verse 8, through Christ, we are entering into the presence of the Lord and there can be no leaven, no sin, no flesh there in the presence of God. It keeps us pure. Pure. It keeps out contention and comparisons. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and I will rejoice. Joyce. Now we're going to turn to Acts, and then we're going to see a, a few words here, and then we'll wrap this up. Now we see that Paul, who, had, who was a slave to sin, in John 8, verse 34, he was a servant and a slave to sin. Now a prisoner captured, and he is a slave, a doulos to Christ, in Ephesians 3, 1 and 4, 1, now being used as a vessel by Christ, for him to pour himself through by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now we can see that. So he goes to Ephesus. We can see in Acts, the 17th chapter. Okay? He went to Ephesus. Now, verse 16, it says this, Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him. Listen to this. Why? When he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. That's what the system brings in. I don't have to tell you, certain systems, certain systems that were brought out, of course, 
in Genesis, the 11th chapter, that entered into what? That entered into a certain cultic place in Rome. And that's a vast compendium of understanding. But let's, let's keep it so that we can all see it very clearly. That Paul finally, he said, his spirit was stirred because he saw the city. And the city is the world apart from God. That's why where we get policy, politics of the world. That's why we are citizens in Philippians 3.20 of heaven, not of this earth. <laughs> and that's why anything in our country is not a political issue. It's a spiritual issue. But back to this, we can see right here when he saw the whole city given over to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews. That's the system. That's the system. That's the system that came all the way through and even entered into Rome and Babylon, Babylon and Rome, and there's contention about well, really, is it, is, it, is it Babylon that's that system or Rome? Well, I don't know. You can, if you can tell me the difference through the scriptures and through a study of church history, I don't see a difference. It's just one system. You can put whatever you want to it. You can. But if I am of Paul and, and of, of Apollos and Cephas, that's what is attached. It's some form of a system that's not Christ. Now, there is an order and there is a system. There is a, an order, and I don't say a system. I don't even like that word for, for what we have in Christ. There is an order. There is. But here, he disputed with them, with the Jews, with those of the system, and with the, with the devout persons in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers... What a funny word, right? For the world to take that word and convert it into their own understanding. Love of the truth. Philosophers. <laughs> Love of what? Where we get that word Sophia. Wisdom. Love of wisdom and truth. I mean, is there wisdom and truth outside of Christ? 1 Corinthians 1.24. No. John 1.14. He is grace and truth. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and other Stoics encountered him. And you and I will too in Christ here in this world system. And some said, what will this babbler say? <laughs> wow. What will this babbler say? What will this man who, who is an idiot and full of idiocy? That's what they were saying to him. Babbler, an idiot, full of idiocies. All these truths about Christ the world considers to be what? Read 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, about foolishness, the foolishness of the world. Very interesting. Very, very interesting there. And uh, so look what it says here, right? Philosophers, right? Some say, what will this, this idiot, full of idiocy, say? Others, some, he seems to be a set of forth of strange gods. <laughs> of course they weren't <laughs> they weren't subject and gods here literally just means that is demons under the prince and power of the air in Ephesians 2 too. and don't tell me does that affect our behavior and our conduct when we function outside the light of who we are in Christ and when we do that's where our comparisons come and we make ourselves of certain individuals oh Lord help us 
deliver us, and he will humble us. Because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof you speak. Right? For you bring certain strange things to our ears. That should stop us when others reject us, or should we function in obedience? We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there present spent their time in what? Nothing else. What's the system in God's estimation? Nothing. Read the first chapter of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, verses 2 and 3. I'm less than nothing, and then I become nothing when I function in a system in any form, in any measure, outside of Christ. Look what it says here. They spent their time in nothing else. That's philosophy. That's the system. But either to tell or to hear some new thing. Oh, tell me, tell me that doesn't go into 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 and 2. And tell me that doesn't go into 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 13. If you get these scriptures and correlate them, you'll see what I don't have the time to say, but God can speak to you just like he did with me through the scriptures. But he doesn't do that apart from his order. And that order is Christ, right? Now look what it says. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill. Yes, sir. He stood in the midst, in the court of the Arapagods, the Mars, you know, like, you know, you ever hear that foolishness, Venus and Mars and how men and women are that, based upon that foolish stuff, based upon uh, using the planets to interpret, for instance, you know, like all the occults, like I'm Taurus and I'm this and I'm Leo and all these not, and all they are is an arrange of these stars and planets which don't amount to anything. <laughs> oh, Lord, you know, and you know, what is my fortune today? You know, um, how can I determine myself? Where's my identity? It's in some planet. It's in how something's formed. But having a form of God, they deny the power of God in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5. From such what? Turn away from that stuff. Turn away from it. It's occultic. It's not of God. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens. Notice who did he go right at the men. You men of Athens, I perceive, listen to what it says here, that in all things you are too what? Superstitious. Don't tell me any cult, any mystery cult, even going right into Rome is not based upon suspicion. A mystery. And, and it's left up to a few to tell the rest in controlling them what they should do and how they should know it. And tell me that didn't enter into Rome. But it had its start in Genesis, the fourth chapter. You can be sure of that. And then, you know, uh, Cain, he became, he became a Pharisee, and the Pharisee just became, you know, any, any, any of us, we have that in the flesh. Well, boy, in all things you were too su superstitious. Is there any superstition in love? 
Is there an ounce of superstition in God? What, he doesn't know anything? He doesn't know everything? You're too superstitious. Are you superstitious of another believer? Could that be because you love someone else and not of Christ? And God will reveal these things to us, not condemningly or accusatorily, but in love. And hopefully we do it quickly by grace, make the adjustment, but if not, then back, uh, backsliding corrects us again in, Je- in Jeremiah 2.19. If that doesn't work, then there's chastisement. And that goes into some serious things too. But it's all love. It's all God. For I pass by and beheld your worships, your devotions, your worship. I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Why? Well, because 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, the natural man receives not the things of God because they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they're of the God, the Holy Spirit. They're spiritually discerned. They're spiritually discerned. Okay? The unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship. Oh, Lord. You ignorantly worship, right? And then to the 19th chapter, and then we'll just get into certain words here, and then we'll stop. So now we're in Acts, the 19th chapter, and you can see in the first verse, Paulus Paulus was at Corinth, God bless him. Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. See, he was in Athens, now he's in Ephesus. Okay? He's in Ephesus. Look what it says, right? In his teaching. Look at it, what he, what he taught in Acts the 19th chapter, verses 1 through 8. But then look. But God, but when divers, many were hardened. Many were blinded and hardened, and as a result, believed not. They received not. But spoke evil of that way. That's what Christians were. Long before they were called Christians, they were called of that way. Of course, we know in John 14, verse 6, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father, has a relationship with him, and has a fellowship outside of me. He just doesn't. He, he doesn't, because no man knows the Father like the Son, and the Son like the Father, in Matthew eleven twenty seven, 27. In John 6, verse 45, truthfully, in John 6, 65, no man, 644 and, and 665. You see, and there's an intimate fellowship, but it's that right there. But look at what it says here. They were hardened of that way before the multitude, and he departed from them. What did he do? He departed from them and separated the disciples. Listen, God gives us the truth about who we are in Christ. It's to separate us, those that are his, from that that's not of him. It's not. That, that's not of him. Not of that way. Because there is a way in Proverbs 14, 12. In 16, 25, that seems right unto a man, but the end of those ways are the ways of death. Because in Jeremiah 10, verse 23, I know, oh God, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man to direct his steps. God forbid we ever take a step outside the steps of Christ himself 
in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. Well, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia, those that were settled down in Asia, they were settled down, <laughs> God forbid we settled down, because you know that word Asia, you know, it speaks of the world system. Asia, even in its name, means miry, stuck, stuck in the earth, stuck in the clay of the self-life. We were created from the dust of the ground in Genesis 2, 7, the clay. And that's what in us clings to the earth and to a system where the enemy in Genesis 3, verse 14, has a free day to feed on us, the dust of our humanity. Two years, and Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, both Jews and every other people group. And God wrought special miracles. Now listen, you go, we go all the way down, and I want to go down to verse uh, 18. And many that believed came. Many that believed came. They kept coming. They didn't just come once. They kept coming. That's what it says. Many of them that believed came and confessed. It wasn't just a mere profession. It was an absolute experience of reality in their life about Christ. And look what they did. And, and showed their deeds apart from him. And look what they did. Verse 19, and many of them also which use curious arts, by the way, mysterious arts, brought their books, <laughs> brought their books. Listen, we don't need worldly psychology to mix itself with Christianity. That was again tried, again in the 60s and the 70s in our country. And I, I went through that phase and I had to learn their books together and burned them before all and they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. Oh, no wonder it says in Isaiah 55 and verse 1 and 2, come you that have no money, buy and eat. Because why else would you spend your money on nothing in Isaiah 55 and verse 2? Why would you do that? Why would we do it? Why would I do it? And God forbid, and he does. And the cross is the revelation of that, right? And so, verse 20, when they did this, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Where did it grow? In the individuals. After these things ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had, when he had passed through Macedonia and, and Achaia to go to Jerusalem to go to Jerusalem, that hub of a system that is no longer our heritage. That's <laughs> why we don't have to go to a specific place once a year, you know, so, so we can get really spiritually built up like we couldn't when we were separate as local assemblies. Go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must, I must also see Rome. Ooh, Rome. Hmm. Okay, so he sent unto Macedonia two. We'll bring out this principle of two. I don't have, I'm not going to have the time to bring it out today because I really want to finish this up quickly. But two, two 
can mean separated unto good, grace, God, or separated unto evil. That number two. That's why Jesus, he sent them out two by two. They didn't send them out as, as one. And because in, in, in uh, Luke 10, verse 1, that's why it says in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9, two are better than one. And a threefold cord, Christ between the two, bringing out oneness, will not be broken. So you have two filled up with only Christ, two together, working together. What do you have? You have a manifestation of the oneness of Christ in John 17, 11, 21, and 22. And I give you the scriptures because this is how God gave it to me in the flow of his word. See? It's two. Principle of two. It keeps out being of someone else. Okay. Now, so two. Two of them. And God said, write it down. I wrote it down in my little Bible right here on the very bottom. Still writing things in this after all these years. It's so interesting. The principle of two. Next time, I want to get into the number two and even the word principle. But the principle of two is it's, it's an individual, one with Christ. Then you get two like that, what do you have? Oneness. What does that do? Keeps out contention. Keeps out comparison. Keeps out schisms. Keeps out divisions. Keeps out comparison. Again, keeps it out. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Thank you, God. See? There it is. He sent them out too. When two come together, why do you think Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name? There am I in the midst. Right? Then you have fellowship in 1 John 1, 1 through 3, the principle of oneness, and we gave you those verses. And the principle of oneness, when it flows in me as an individual, it glorifies Christ. And in his light, the glory of his light, in Psalm 36, verse 9, I see that glory in me, Christ in me, the hope of glory, in Colossians 1, 27. Why would I glory in anybody or anything else? Who would I make more of an issue of than Christ? We're almost done. Look it. We're going to have to go all the way down. I have to skip a bunch. Go all the way down to verse 29. And the whole city, the whole, in that particular location, the whole city, the whole world system in that particular location was filled with what? Confusion. Confusion and having caught Gaius and, and Aristarchus and men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. Oh boy. Look at I'm just going to close with this because I only have 10, 10 minutes. Listen to what? Contentions. There are contentions. We mentioned that uh, in 1 Corinthians 1.11. We mentioned those contentions in 1 Corinthians, and uh, in, in, in Philippians 1 and verse 16, we mentioned those. And then we mentioned what happened as a result, the world functioning like that in Acts 17, 22, uh, 23, which would bring us to the place of 1929 of Acts, a place of confusion. Okay. Is God the author of confusion? In 1 Corinthians 14.33. Nope. We are skipping over. <laughs> I have because of time and because, you know, I'm skipping over so much, but, but God. And I'm skipping over it because I prayed and said, God, I can't do this. You can. And it's so much that, that you do it. And he's doing it. Thank you, God. <laughs> he's the author. 
right? I'm a little newspaper boy, that's all. <laughs> a little newspaper, you know, you throw the, throw the paper over to him. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Not the editor. <laughs> Not this editor. So contentions. This is the Greek word where we have eris. E-I-E-R-I-S. E-R-I-S. Look what contentions. Look what the word means. A quarrel. A quarrel. I'm a Paul. Well, I'm of Apollos. Well, I'm of Cephas. Well, we don't need any of you guys. We're of Christ. It's Christ divided. A quarrel. By implication, listen to what it means. By implication, a wrangling. That's W-R-A-N-G, ling. <laughs> a wrangling. Listen to what this word from the root is. From the root to ring. You know, like you have a washcloth, and then you what? To get the water out, you wring it out. To ring, look at what it says, to twist. You think the enemy wants to twist things and use the system of the flesh to twist things out of us? Why do you think this is what Peter was saying, even about the truth that was his, Peter's personally, but that he needed to be taught continuously by Paul? Look what it says in 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, look what it says in, in verse 16. Uh, verse 15, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, it's deliverance, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him. See, it was wisdom given unto him. It was for all, but it was given to him to give to the all that they could all function around Christ, the issue. The one who has preeminence in Colossians 1.18. Paul, okay, according to the wisdom given unto him, has written unto you. As also in all his epistles, well, all epistles, his is not even there in the original. You'll see that italicized, because whose epistles were they? <laughs> the very life of Christ. Speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood, because not everyone has that skill. It's all ours. Not everyone does. Which they that are unlearned and unstable as a result rest, twist. Twist as they do also the other scriptures. Twist them out of their context. Put them all over the place unto their own destruction. That's what happens. And it's a result of contentions, Satan using the flesh of a, of a Christian in, in a local assembly, even in their private life, because that's where it starts. This is what it says. To ring, to twist, contentions, eris, to struggle. Why would the enemy do this? Cause Christians to struggle. Because they, do we struggle in our proper image? Do we struggle in our proper place in a local assembly? Do we struggle then in a proper worship? No, we don't. Nope. No. Again, you can see it. And there are many voices. Boy, I'm not going to have time to fin even finish this. We have to do it a different time. <laughs> it's just so much, you know, and, and uh, I just have to trust God uh, for me. For, that's what I'm saying. And I have to trust God for us all, don't, don't we? Have to trust God for each other? And Okay, so now we see in 1 Corinthians 14 this contentions. Listen, here's what's going on. 1 Corinthians 14. This was going on in Corinth. They were one of the most gifted assemblies. 
They weren't functioning properly in their gifts because God doesn't give gifts to men so that to exalt the flesh, but to humble them in God's presence. Now, verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 14. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, many different languages, what will I, what will I profit you except I will speak to you by revelation? You see that? Revelation has to do with Christ, Him alone. And that has to do with His image. And that His image has to do with what He's made me to be in my image. It has to be revelation, just not a bunch of words and declarations. Okay? By revelation, or by knowledge, or by prophesying, there's preaching, or by preaching, or by doctrine, there's teaching. And even things without life giving sound whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, those tunes, how will it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself to the battle? Who's prepared to that spiritual battle that every Christian is born into in Ephesians 6, chapter 10, verse 18? So likewise you, except you utter by the tongues, the tongues, proper language, words, easy, words, easy, significant, words that are significant, that have significance, and, and words that are significant, what? How will it be known what is spoken? For you will speak into the air. Who's the prince and power of the air in Ephesians 2, 2? Who is? Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice... I will be unto him that speaks as an unsaved person, a barbarian, and he that speaks will be as an unsaved uh, person, like a wild man in the flesh unto me. Even so you, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church, to the building up of the church. Well, contentions, eris, it means to dispute angrily. Angrily. Is there, is there any, is there bad anger? When is anger good? All you that love God hate evil in Psalm 97, verse 10. All you that love God hate evil. Where should that start? In each individual. We don't have time. We're going to have to close it out. But I'm going to have, I want to continue it, right? And it means to quarrel through being fretful. It means vexation and discontent, scores of scriptures I'm leaving out, with irritation or bad emotions, which we say is a bad mood, to quarrel noisily, see all these sounds? To brawl. I don't know, in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 6, should a man of God enter into quarrels and brawl? Bring contentions in teaching? Brawl? No. Well, I have two minutes. Oh, well. Okay. That goes into, that word eris then, when we function in contentions of the flesh, here's what it goes into. Erethea. And this is what that word means. Erethea, and that's E-R-I-T-H-E-I-A. This is what that word means. As a result, when someone functions in the flesh, this is what comes out of it. It's erethea, and by implication, it means faction. There's a broken, something's broken. The fellowship, the intimacy, 
the exchange of the life of Christ is broken. And it means faction. It means contentious one time in the original languages. It means to be contentious one other time. And it means strife five different times. And what is this? What is this erthea? It is ambition. It is ambition of self-seeking and, it's, and it produces a rivalry. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. And you know what? I don't need anybody. It's just me and Jesus. Right? A rivalry. When, of course, is the battle the Lord's? Do you think the enemy wants to get us out of the battle that's his and get us into a battle of the flesh against each other? And even preach the word of contention? In contention? We just read those scriptures. And that's our busy time? Preaching the word because, there's, because I'm contentious and I want to contend with someone? I want to be a rival? I want to compare? Oh, Lord. Ambition, rivalry. The battle is the Lord. And he wants us to turn from Christ and God and battle each other instead of functioning in the place of Christ our proper place. It has to do, this ambition and self-seeking has to do with self-will being the underlying. In other words, functioning under the prince and power of the air still as a believer in Christ in Ephesians 2.2. 2, thereby he can deceive us in Revelations 12.9. And in that deception, we'll accuse each other in Revelations 12.10. Where does it all come from? Well, the idea, that's the idea in this word. This leads to and denotes party making. Well, we're separate. No, we're of Paul. No, no, okay, yeah, that's fine. We're of Apollos. Yeah, you know. I love, I love Apollos. Man, he speaks with a with a flow like you wouldn't believe. The Apostle Paul, his speech is 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 content. It it, it is uh, it's hard to listen to him. In 2 Corinthians 10.10, his speech is contemptible. What a vessel, though. What a vessel that was used by by God for him, for all of us, isn't he? God used him. Was it for us or for Paul? Lord Jesus, help us. Party making. Seeking. What is a party maker? Seeking to win followers to the self-life, and it creates factions and divisions within a local assembly. Is Christ divided in 1 Corinthians 1.13? We're going to stop there. We're going to thank God for what we have. At some point, we want to understand what, where the system was developed, what it entered into in Babylon, and how that functioned in the church. And that's why many, even those at Ephesus where Paul preached for three years, these particular things we see in the 19th chapter and in the 20th chapter where he preached in tears in 2019 of Acts and 2031 for three years teaching Christ, teaching them and had to. Then Jesus had to say into, into the very near future where Jesus had to say in Ephesus, you know, you have these good things, but you know what? You left your first love. Someone replaced me in you. You used someone, and they were just a vessel. You used someone, and you can see that. The Nicolaitans in, in Revelations 2, 4 through 6, which we'll get into at a different time. So, Father, thank you, and praise you for the word this morning, and thank you for your loving, loving 
correction and preciseness. In Jesus' name, amen.